It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike. You're listening to episode 28. Man, these are cruising right by. Uh, listen, I am so excited for this next segment. In the uh, in the commercial break, I walked in. I said, uh, so you guys are uh, heroes, right? And, of course, they very humbly said, no, 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 that's, that's not a title we, uh, we assigned to ourselves. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll do it for you, and you just tell me your story. Here uh, in studio, we have a few members uh, of Unified Fire, also uh, commanders over Task Force One. Uh, they recently have sent a, a few men down to Puerto Rico. You know, they've had some earthquakes down there, uh, some terribly tragic earthquakes. And FEMA uh, said, hey, listen, we need some of Utah's help. And it was... Uh, folks from Unified Fire and Task Force One uh, who were down. They have a long storied history. Uh, when September 11th uh, struck our nation and those terrible tragedies, it was members of Utah's Task Force One that traveled out to New York City. Uh, when uh, the hurricanes have come, uh, it has been uh, Utahns who have answered the call and went out into the field to help folks in need. So in studio today, we have Chief Brian K- Case as well as Captain Two Toe from Utah Task Force uh, one chief, let me ask you first: uh, What's going on, and what kind of need was is going on down in uh, Puerto Rico, such to to send some of our Utah guys down there? Thanks, Lee, for having us. Um, so, in, in essence, uh, as as most people are aware, you know the area has dev- been devastated by a series of earthquakes, and uh, as you can imagine, you know when infrastructure isn't built the same way to the same standards that we're used to, or if it's predating you know current technologies, it will suffer greatly from uh, from these catastrophic earthquakes. So, so FEMA uh, asked us to send a couple of our folks as part of an overhead team down there to support the locals in uh, in efforts to to uh, survey the damage. Let me take a, a quick step backwards. Please t- tell us about this task force. Tell us about their history and the nature of the incidents around the world that uh, call for their assistance. Sure. So uh, on the federal level, there's 28 federal disaster response teams. We're part of the uh, un- operating under the Department of Homeland Security uh, umbrella, if you will. And uh, we're all pretty much the same cookie cutters, if you will. So the types of events that these task forces around the country would respond to would be the things like World Trade Center, Hurricane Katrina. Those are great examples of where the local jurisdictions and authorities have been inundated either by water, wind, or destructive forces. Uh, So man-made and natural disasters that are larger in scope and magnitude. Uh, that's typically when the federal government steps in and there's a methodology to activate these teams. So each state uh, would activate uh, these these uh, task forces at the federal level by making an official request to the feds for assistance through the, the Stafford Act. We've seen in many news reports over the past month or so as Australia faces uh, these bushfires that there were a number of uh, federal firefighters typically headquartered here in Utah that have gone uh, over to Australia to help combat these fires, lend aid to uh, that country. But we have other folks who are hopping on planes uh, and reaching out and helping folks where they are in need around the world. And that's what Task Force One has done in this case. We're talking about uh, Puerto Rico and in, in studio uh, 
my guests are Chief Brian Case as well as Captain uh, To Captain, can you tell me uh, what are the circumstances down in Puerto Rico that required our aid? Well, we're really there to support the local jur- jurisdiction. Um, we're really there to support them and, and give them what they need, give them uh, advice as well as some of our expertise. And we are really there just to gather information for them and just provide all the help they need. Outstanding. Chief, what are the needs down there? Uh, that How are we helping? So right now, uh, as as you can as you know, there's you know there's been damage. So immediately following that, there's an assessment process that needs to take place to check up on the affected populace, and then also to check in the areas that may be remote that may have suffered some damage, as well as check in infrastructure. So, you know, if, if there's utility systems, um, homes or businesses that have been destroyed, you know, through collapse, those are the types of support that we would be we would be um, you know helping the the local authorities to find and then determine the severity of the damage. What's the day-to-day like for uh, our firefighters as they're down there? Are they staying in uh, tents? Or are they? W- w- what's the experience for them? So it, it, really the scope and the magnitude uh, of the event sort of dictates how we live. Um, when we've gone to you know flooding or hurricane events, we sometimes hold up in a structure that is sound, and we have structural engineers to help us to make that determination. And then other times, you know, we're afforded a space in the affected area that is just a flat parking lot, and we'll set up our own sort of tent city. Uh, we're we're paramilitary, so we're self-sustaining for up to 72, sometimes 96 hours, and we take care of our own people, so we're not a burden on an already over, overburdened uh, area. Let me ask you this. Uh, these are unique circumstances uh, w- which would call for activation, w- which would uh, you know, lead to FEMA saying, hey, uh, boys, can you come help us out? You must maintain a certain state of readiness and training. Well, what is that like? So we're funded by the federal government. Uh, we're a federal and a state asset. Um, we, we use our funding to maintain certain levels of training for all of our individuals. We maintain a rather large cache of equipment. We have our own fleet of vehicles. And so that stuff is constantly ready to go all out the door. Uh, we have eyes on noticed events like hurricanes. But, you know, if the earthquake or a terrorist event were to happen, we're always ready for the no-notice events as well. You, you're firefighters. Uh, and yet there are instances where you're being deployed, in this case, down to Puerto Rico with earthquakes. Uh, y- your skill set is not limited to the combating fire. Talk to us a, a little bit about uh, w- what other skills you bring to the fight. So FEMA does a great job of identifying these these larger um, areas with bigger fire departments. And, and we pull from several fire departments in the area. The beauty of using firefighters you know, that, that are paid professionals is that we come with a skill set already established. And in many cases, beyond the firefighting and the emergency medical services that we can provide, we have amazing technical expertise when it comes to technical rescue, whether it's structure collapse, water rescue, uh, confined space, uh, different things like that that are highly technical. And FEMA helps us with that that readiness funding to maintain those skill sets so we can employ those in those areas. I, I, I'm an outsider. I don't kick down doors. I don't uh, climb over buildings. I don't uh, suit up when the siren calls. Uh, Captain, can you help me uh, understand what is the, the nature of uh, like camaraderie and brotherhood that exists among uh, folks like you who are just standing ready to answer the call, be it down the street to fight the fire at a neighbor's home or to hop on a plane and fly across the world to fight uh, a disaster when our brothers need it out there? Well, first of all, we, we spend a good chunk of our, our lives together. We develop a, a good bond 
we train together, we live together, we eat together, we laugh together, and we honestly sometimes cry together, right? And we develop this this relationship that 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 I guess a close knit family would develop, right? And when when they call us, we want to do what's best for our for our neighbors, for people we don't know, and it's just that we have that common bond that we want to help our fellow man. So it's it's hard to explain sometimes, but it's it's we we go out there together. You know, we sure. want to help. You you're, you wear cool uniforms. You get to engage in cool training. You fight fires. You save the damsel in distress from time to time. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Chief, men and women who might be listening to this program, young folks starting out in life, what kind of advice would you give those who are on the fence whether or not this might be a line of work for them? Well, that's a great question. I would say uh, if you're looking for a structured career, this is it. Because, again, we're paramilitary. Uh, the, the opportunities to, to make a real difference in life, you're afforded those opportunities in the fire service. Uh, you don't get to save too many lives legitimately, you know, that you could point to and say, yeah, I made a real difference there. But, um, you know, when it, when it does occur and you know you've made a difference to save somebody's life, it is satisfaction and... and uh, and sort of uh, validation that you've made a good choice in your career beyond beyond measure. It's, it's really rewarding. Very good. Chief, Captain, I'm grateful to you for being in here. Grateful to you for your service, first and foremost. And please send my thanks, my personal thanks, uh, to all the folks who work alongside you for the service they render to the community and to the world. Uh, we're doing great things, and I'm grateful to you for, for leading that fight. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. Listen, there is a lot more to get to on today's program. Uh, as you and I sit here uh, learning about the great firefighting efforts of Utahns uh, around uh, this country, Adam Schiff is speaking again to the senators on the floor of the United States Senate, continuing to make his case uh, in the case of the other House impeachment managers against the president of the United States. Uh, he'll do so for the duration of today. There will be other presentations made by other managers. Uh, tomorrow that will pick up again and then finally. Following that, uh, at the culmination of three days and 24 hours of effort by the managers, by the prosecutors against the president, it will be the defense's turn, uh, led by Pat Cipollone, uh, a counsel for the president, to get up and uh, make the case in defense against uh, these articles of impeachment. We're, of course, going to continue to follow that today. Uh, in addition to that, we have learned... Uh, some astounding news from the state legislature. The presidents of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, and the governor uh, made it known that it is their intention to repeal a piece of legislation which was passed in special session. Uh, why? Well, in large part because of folks like you who made your way out to Harmon's and Associated Foods and signed petitions saying that, you know, I'd really not like to see things play out this way. Taxes are complicated, and folks, you didn't get, get that one quite right. Uh, I find that to be a, a beautiful thing, regardless of where you stand on this issue. We saw the the statutes here in the state of Utah tested. We saw the Constitution tested and uh, she's coming out all right. That's a pretty good thing. Listen, next up on this program, we're going to be speaking to Thomas Wright. He's running for governor of this great state and he has some thoughts on this tax, tax issue. He's going to call in and chat with us after the break here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. 
Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.